Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. Listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. After a week of searching, health officials locate the mystery sixth person in the UK infected with the Brazil variant. Apparently, he was identified an illegal five-a-side game, rolling around on the ground, clutching his shin in agony. The Home Office settles Philip Rutnan's claim for unfair dismissal by awarding him a £340,000 payout, which is definitely what happens when the Home Secretary is definitely innocent of bullying and definitely didn't breach the ministerial code. Health Minister and Dolores Umbridge-adjacent evil Nolan sister Nadine Dorries claims she is pleasantly surprised at a proposed 1% pay rise for nurses. Ms Dorries is a former nurse herself, which should go some way to convincing the country that actually some of them can be awful cunts who don't deserve nice things. And finally, Meghan and Harry accuse Buckingham Palace of spreading falsehoods about them, including the suggestion that they are the worst members of a family that also includes Prince Andrew. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News. Thanks for everything you've done for us by listening over the last, frankly, terrible year. In return, and as a token of our appreciation, I hope you'll accept this dusty old envelope, out of which a cartoon moth will fly as soon as you open it, before pinwheeling to the ground and dying. No need to thank us. You've earned this, and no, you can't have any money. Unless we went to school together and you reckon you can get us some rubber gloves, that is. Then you can have fucking loads. Here on Earth Prime this week saw the annual Conservative Budget Festival. It's a tradition that dates back a seemingly endless amount of time at this point, and it's notable for its pageantry. According to the folklore, the villagers gather round to watch a gilded king open his magic red box, out of which he produces a seemingly endless stream of bullshit that the townsfolk are then expected to feast upon for a whole day. Then, over the course of the following week or so, they slowly realise that the bullshit really wasn't that tasty, and everyone starts getting a really rather off taste in their mouth. During all of this, the Labour jester dances around and angrily jingles his bells, but nobody listens to him because of a note he left in a desk once. Confused? You should be, because Budget Day is often as deliberately confusing and complicated as any one of my horrendously overwrought metaphors. Thankfully, Alison June-Smith is here to try and make better sense of it all. It's going to take this country and the whole world a long time to recover from this extraordinary economic situation. But we will recover. This budget meets the moment with a three-part plan to protect the jobs and livelihoods of the British people.
Budget Day. It's everyone's favorite time of the year. So gather around, everyone, and we'll take turns opening our little red suitcases as a family. Oh, will you look at that? Mama got another self-employment support grant. Thanks, Papa Sunak. You're the best. For politicians here in the UK, Budget Day is traditionally a day of big theater. It's the day the party in power gets to flop their big financial dick out on the table and ask the country what they think of it. The green seats are stuffed to the rafters with honking donkeys, and everyone waves their papers and slaps their thighs, and then they all walk away feeling thoroughly pleased with themselves. It's a chance for our chancellors to look good. And if there's one thing Rishi, the brand Sunak, likes doing, it's looking good. The man in charge of the purse strings is already being heralded as a prime minister in waiting by the Tory faithful. And Wednesday's budget was a big moment for the young prince. And I say prince without irony. Because Sunak's got more wealth stashed away than your average Cayman Islands press baron. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing inherently wrong with being wealthy. But Sunak isn't just wealthy. Even by Tory standards, he's Pablo Escobar rich. So hearing him lecture the country on its fiscal responsibility rings a little hollow. It's kind of hard to hear a guy who can afford to bathe in caviar and white rhino semen if he wants to tell you that your income tax threshold is getting frozen for five years. I doubt Rishi Sunak has ever tightened a belt that wasn't choking him out during a sex party on a super yacht. And it's always going to sting a little to hear bad economic news from a guy like that. And make no mistake, there was plenty of bad news in this budget. The conservative spin machine would have us all believe that this is a Tory budget like no other. And to some extent, that's true. Boris Johnson is the fun weekend dad of a prime minister, throwing money at his neglected kids to try and make them all love him. The problem for Boris is that it's kind of hard to love a weekend dad who's also killed your grandparents with his incompetence. Sorry, dude, but even the PS5 isn't going to make up for the fact that you turned Nana's nursing home into ground zero for a pandemic. The simple fact is that this is only a big spending budget because it had to be. Coronavirus has made it impossible for the chancellor to be the fiscal conservative he sees in the mirror. Instead, Sunak has been forced to spend big on the furlough scheme and financial support for the self-employed and Britain's businesses. The country's now facing down huge debts and a deficit that will take decades to pay back, with the Tories becoming the party of big government and major public spending. That's kind of why I'm not even bothering with the multiverse this week. Shit's already ass-backwards right here on Earth Prime, and it's confusing enough already. It's confusion that the conservatives have used to their advantage by extending furlough and the universal credit boost and delaying a rise in corporation tax until 2023. Sunak has effectively neutered a big chunk of Labour's talking points in opposition. And when it comes to Keir Starmer, that particular dog already had pretty tiny balls. 
the austerity of old in this budget is right there in the small print. By freezing the income tax threshold, Britain's lowest-paid workers are facing a tax hike in real terms as their wages rise over the next few years. There's the thank you our key workers, slaving away in supermarkets, get for everything they've done throughout the crisis. On top of that, there's nothing in this budget to address Britain's social care crisis, and no mention of our NHS workers, teachers, or police. There are cuts in the small print that threaten all kinds of public services. That sound you can hear on the doorstep isn't clapping anymore. It's the sound of people who worked their asses off throughout the pandemic taking a slap in the goddamn face. In short, despite the big spending, this is a budget that's somehow still desperately lacking in ambition. Sunak is offering none of the serious infrastructure investment so many of our public services desperately need. In that respect, it's a Tory budget through and through. And when it comes to potentially devastating cliff edges like the cut in universal credit and the end of furlough, all it effectively does is kick the can a little further down the road. Britain deserves better. And if we're going to demand it, step one is refusing to swallow the bullshit and propaganda. £22 billion for a sinkhole of a test and trace program and government contracts for old-school chums who then fail to deliver are not the hallmarks of a fiscally responsible administration. They're the fucking opposite. I'm Allison June Smith, looking forward to another few months of being able to pay 80% of my bills, reporting for IC News. We will continue doing whatever it takes to support the British people and businesses through this moment of crisis. Over in the US, the Biden administration is moving forwards with its own financial response to the pandemic. This week, Kamala Harris broke the tie in the Senate to move up the debate over the Democrats' $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. It's faced predictable resistance from a Republican party determined to be as obstructionist as possible. With bipartisanship between America's two parties, now it's endangered as your average black person's voting rights. The future of the GOP seemed uncertain following the violent riot at the Capitol in January, but last weekend Donald Trump re-emerged from his bolt hole in Florida to reassert his grip on the party's throat. The Conservative Political Action Conference was a colourful affair to say the least, which was impressive given it was utterly jam-packed with imaginary white grievances. Joining us now to discuss the future of the Republican Party is a Trump supporter who was at CPAC last weekend. Hello again, Sam. I'm John McDonald's, just a regular American guy, the most regular apple pie, going to ball games, working in a 7-Eleven and earning what I can only assume is one, two or three million dollars a year. All that stuff. That's me, Sam. Average Joe. That's what they call me. Right. Thanks for joining us again, John. First things first, this was the first major public appearance by Trump since he lost the presidency. Well, I'm going to have to stop you there, Sam, because he didn't lose the presidency. It was stolen. Stolen by radical far-left, liberal elite, communist, cancel culture, transgender, Antifa Democrats. That's quite a list. I know, right? I'd be working on getting my word count up. Now I'm not limited to 280 characters. 
If you've got any new words for Democrats, let me know. It doesn't matter if they're true or not. They just need to sound scary. Let's just try and stay on track, shall we? How do you think Trump's speech went? Well, you know what, Sam? I think it was tremendous. Probably one of the best, if not the best, speeches he's ever made. And I love all his speeches. But i got to tell you, people are saying this was the best one. Lots of people are saying it. The far left, they want to see a Republican civil war. But wars have two sides, Sam. And what Trump did was make it very clear there's only one side. His side. All those people, Trump is still their president. And it's going to be very hard, the most hard, for anyone to take that away from him. And he's going to win a third time in 2024. I'll tell you that for free. Actually, no, I won't. I'm going to invoice you, Sam, and you better pay me. Yeah, Trump mentioned that third win thing in his speech. The fact is, he didn't win, John. Republicans failed to take control of the House, lost the Senate, and also lost the presidency. And actually, even back in 2016, Trump lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton by nearly three million. Ah! Don't you say that name! It burns, Sam! The point I'm making is that Trump's political victories are actually far flukier than his losses. Given that, and the events of January 6th, it's frankly extraordinary that the GOP are still so willing to tie their fortunes to his. Sam, I'm going to have to stop you again, because you're talking like a man who clearly didn't get the memo. January 6th is ancient history. Republicans said it was a terrible thing for a whole two weeks. And now it's all fine, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. You can't keep living in the past, Sam. I used to say that all the time when I was host of The Apprentice. When were you host of The Apprentice, John? Oh, I mean, I, when I hosted watch parties for The Apprentice, you know, like an average American does. Get the whole building round, crack over the cold one, watch the highest rated show on cable television with your best buds, that sort of thing. That's what I meant. OK, then. Well, let's just get back to your point about the capital attack in January. It certainly did feel like it had all been forgotten at CPAC, but you're still parroting Trump's stolen election narrative, and it's that rhetoric that inspired January's extremism in the first place. If Trump is never going to abandon the obvious lie that fraud at the sort of scale required to cost him the presidency just did not happen, then the threat of right-wing violence in his name in the US isn't going anywhere. Trump didn't inspire violence of any kind, Sam. Not once. And not once has he ever sent signals to right-wing extremists, who I'm sure are very nice people. You didn't notice the stage itself at CPAC, then? What are you talking about? It was in the exact shape of an odal rune, John. A symbol co-opted by the Waffen-SS as an alternative to the swastika, and a widely recognised emblem of white supremacy. And now you're just clutching at straws, Sam. Come on, that's ridiculous. Everything's racist to you people. What's next, Sam? Are Christian crosses racist? Are marshmallows? Is it racist to use false claims of widespread voter fraud as a basis to introduce legislation that makes it harder for Democrat-leaning black communities to vote in future? Hmm? Is that racist, Sam? Yes, John. Yes, that's absolutely racist. It's classic disenfranchisement. You're confused, Sam. You really shouldn't use words you don't understand. It makes you sound stupid. Franchises are strips of fried potato. I don't think that's quite right. I think you call them chips. That's probably where you're getting confused. 
<sighs> Tell you what, let's just move on. It's clear that you're all in on Trump for 2024. So what are your thoughts on the fact his financial records are now in the hands of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office? Do you think it's likely he'll be facing charges over his business dealings in future? And what does that mean for his political fortunes? His what? Uh, with the who now? Trump's financial records, they're now in the hands of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, following a Supreme Court ruling. Melania, did you know about this? I really don't care. Do you? Sam, I'm going to have to call you back. I, I have a flight to Russia I need to catch. Melania, pack your bags and make sure we got Eric's security blanket. We're leaving. Back here in Britain, you're going to hear a lot about fiscal prudence and responsibility with regard to the public finances over the next few years. What you're less likely to hear is any honesty from this government about the active role they've played in ballooning the deficit. The pandemic isn't the only shotgun blast that shredded the gonads of the public purse of late. Brexit has also taken a severe toll on Britain's economic bollocks, and it continues to be a frankly intractable mess. This week, the government took further unilateral action to extend grace periods on goods crossing the new border in the Irish Sea, with the EU preparing legal action against them in response. It's a diplomatic crisis that does nothing to reassure Britain's exporters and importers, many of whom are facing spiralling costs and unnavigable bureaucracy if they hope to continue trading. If Brexit has taught us anything, however, it's that there's no problem that can't be fixed with a bit of blind jingoism from a vocal patriot – Thankfully, that's exactly what everyday average woman with a heart of gold, Jade Fernley, has to offer. Hello, everybody. I'm Jade Fernley, proud Yorkshire lass, hard-working mother of three and champion of homegrown British business and produce. You can take your brie and your bratwurst and in the spirit of respectful relations with your newly sovereign neighbour, you can shove it up your fucking lederhosen. I don't need variety, thank you very much. This country was built on grain and gruel. And if it's to be the cost of our freedom, we'll happily go back to choking it down for every meal. With any luck, we haven't got long to wait until life here in Britain starts to return to some sort of normality. That hopefully means a big economic boost for nation's coffers, as we all come back together to start lashing down the pints and splurging on the high street again. It's clearly what Rishi Sunak is relying on, and I, for one... Can't wait to start splashing the gash again. Sorry, cash. I meant cash. <laughs> Fraudian slip. I've been off Tinder for 12 months now, don't you judge me. <clears throat> Post-Brexit, it's starting to look like Britain's going to struggle to import anything, apart from dangerous new varieties of coronavirus. I, for one, couldn't give a fuck what the whining Ramonas think, because for me... Brexit is now much more of a religion than a policy goal. Just like Christianity or supporting Arsenal. It requires blind faith and a sense of collective loyalty that I find both charming and comforting. I mean, these days I go on the BBC's Brexit Have Your Say section with the mentality of an angry Mormon. I'll knock on doors to wind them up, but I don't expect to actually convert anybody who disagrees. I just need to remind myself that Remainers 
hate me. That way, I can convince myself that my sense of victimisation is proof that I was right, despite all the evidence to the contrary. But all that's by the by. The point I'm here today to make is that the ridiculous bird in the EU insists on putting on British businesses by treating us like the third country we desperately wanted to be doesn't have to be a crisis. It can be an opportunity. But we all have to pitch in to make it happen. The best way to show Brussels that we mean business is to grab that Brexit ball by the horns and furiously milk it. Then we need to hold full eye contact with John claude and Emmanuel as we pass the tin bucket to our lips and thirstily gulp down the fruits of our British labours. It's thicker, warmer and distinctly saltier than the dairy shites coming out of namby-pamby France. I'm talking, of course, about buying and supporting British. Who needs brie when you've got Wensleydale? Who needs beef bourguignon when you've got Melton Mowbray? Who needs champagne when you've got Frosty Jacks? <laughs> Nobody, that's who. And frankly, it's about time we started cutting off our pellets to spite our France. And by pellets, I mean taste buds, you know. We've already successfully fucked the other sorts of pallets. They're all empty. Not really being used to export anything anymore. So it's time to speak with our wallets. Everybody, rally round your British farmers and fishermen. We need to wolf down our white bait, get ravenous for rabbits and masticate our monkfish. British seas and fields are bountiful sources of harvest and our exporters and importers need us more than ever. To prove just how good we've got it right here in Britain, I'm here at the world-famous Billingsgate Fish Market to sample some of the best old blighty has to offer. Here you go, love. The old Cockney classic. Good old-fashioned British jelly deals with extra jelly. Get that down your cake hole. Ooh. Starting there, are we? That, that's just great. Great. And is that the only size fork you've got, is it? Just fucking eat it, you tart. I've got work to do. Yep, you're right, of course. <laughs> Time to really get stuck into this great British classic. <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, it's so good. Mm. <laughs> oh. I'm Jade... Oh, God. Fern... I'm Jade Fernley, reporting for IC... Oh, God. News. Oh, God. Oh, it was lovely, that. Mmm, sounds delicious, and I'm sure soon we'll all be enjoying a similar level of wonderful Brexit dividends. Any day now, you've just got to keep your fingers crossed, everyone. In the meantime, Jade's report brings us to the end of our broadcast. As always, we'll be back next week, but for now, we leave you with the stories you may have missed. Head teachers warn that not enough parents are giving permission for coronavirus testing in school ahead of Monday's reopening. 
In response, PE teachers have stepped up, insisting that many of them are quite used to shoving things down teenagers' throats without their consent. The governor of Texas ends the statewide mask mandate and orders the full reopening of the state's economy, flouting advice from the federal government and proving that everything really is bigger in Texas, including, soon enough, the morgues. Prince Philip is moved back to King Edward's Hospital in London after a successful heart operation, with the Duke of Edinburgh said to be recovering well and not looking a day over 342. And finally, Ian Brown pulls out of a Warrington Music Festival, refusing to perform for any organisation that requests proof of vaccination as a condition of entry. The Stone Roses frontman has been a vocal critic of the global Covid response and has thoroughly missed the irony of himself becoming a massive prick that endangers public health. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind Oddbins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though, this deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger meat. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.